0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to EFG's podcast, Beyond the Benchmark. My name is Mo Zafzal. I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. So we have uh, Andrew Haradine, uh on the podcast today. I think, uh, Andrew, you, you did make an appearance last year, I believe, roughly around this time.
1: Yeah, that's about right, um, but uh, but great to be back on the, uh, the podcast, so so thanks for, for having me again.
0: Yeah, not at all. So um,
1: for those of you who don't know Andrew, Andrew Herodine is our
0: head of global fund selection, uh, manager selection, and um, uh, he's been with EFG for uh, 10 years, uh, possibly a little bit longer, um, and uh, I always describe Andrew as one of the most powerful people in EFG uh, on the basis that he has the power to Select a manager or select a fund into that uh, famous approve list, and uh, and to make it into the uh, mutual fund matters publication, that is uh, certainly a must read for uh, anybody who gets hold of it. Uh, so, um, uh,
1: Andrew, uh, how do you think about that? Well, <laughs> oh, thanks for the thanks for the plug there, but yeah, I guess um, you know, given our, our you know high AUMs in, in mutual funds. Uh, now you know a lot of managers want to get onto our our approved list, uh, so uh, so yeah, we receive a, a lot of phone calls, and um, yeah, we're, we're 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 clearly in demand. <laughs> and obviously, you have a you have a great uh,
0: team uh, in Lugano and, and London who uh, who support you. So. Um, so let's uh, let's go straight into it. And um, uh, for this podcast, uh, we basically have three kind of key topics. The first is gen- general trends within the asset management industry. Uh, obviously, Andrew is very close to that. Uh, and then there's um, you know, some of the newer trends we've seen around thematics. Uh, and then obviously, the big mega trend within the industry is, of course, uh, ESG. And so we'll uh, Certainly, be enlightened on Andrew's thoughts. Uh, So, Andrew, so so maybe as a first uh, question, um, what what are you seeing in terms of kind of flows this year? You know, have we started to see the great rotation that everyone was hoping for between fixed income and equities, and where is that money going at the moment?
1: Yeah, really, really good question. So, um, yeah, it's been a really, really strong year uh, for for flows uh, across a lot of risk assets. Um, so you know, every month we we track Morningstar's uh, flow data, and uh, yeah, we've seen just over 360 billion uh, of net flows uh, coming into um, you know a- a- across the across the piece really, equities, fixed income, uh, multi asset. With uh, so this year equities have have been dominant, with uh, just short of 170 billion. Uh, Coming into uh, equity funds, uh, around 110 billion into fixed income and 75 billion into uh, into multi asset. Uh, I guess we we obviously had some volatility in fixed income, uh, sovereign fixed income markets in the first quarter, uh, which has you know slightly muted uh, flows into that area. Conversely, equities have been very strong, so maybe no surprise we've seen such strong. Uh, flows uh, in into the equities space. Uh, one area which maybe has been a you know a, a somewhat a more muted in terms of flows than, than would have been expected is, is commodities. Uh, you know having seen some very very strong performance from commodities uh, this year we we've only seen uh, a few billion of net flows come into commodities uh, so it, it's it's been all about uh, all about equities primarily uh, this year um, if we dig a bit you know deeper into where those flows have been coming within uh, equities. One of the you know the the enduring trends that we've seen, uh, you know, in recent years, and indeed continue this year, is uh, is is global global equity large cap has been uh, very much the dominant area of flows on the equity uh, side of things. Uh, other points to note would be uh, some of the more sort of thematic sector oriented. uh, Peer groups. So we've we've continued to see very strong flows uh, into uh, into technology funds, Uh, but also you know energy has actually received some meaningful flows uh, this year, having been out of favor uh, for many years. We've 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 seen a bit of a more interest in U.S. large cap value, uh, having been you know previously out of favor for for many many years. We saw a strong run, um, you know, over the earlier part of this year, which saw some you know meaningful flows. Come into the value space. Conversely, um, you know, d- despite value um, and growth now being in line uh, on performance this year, uh, we've seen some you know pretty meaningful outflows from large cap uh, U.S. large cap um, growth managers, uh, which you know, given the you know reasonably strong performance of that space, isn't really what we uh, what we would have expected. And maybe just to touch on a, on, on fixed income. Briefly, one one of the areas where we've seen some meaningful flows uh, has been in the Asia fixed income space, uh, and and one of the sort of the subcategories here is the RMB uh, onshore bond um, peer group, and this sort of ties in with an asset allocation call uh, that we made earlier, and, and and I think there's a you know a greater acceptance uh, of of RMB uh, bonds. Um, Currently, and I think if you look at the performance of that space uh, this year, it hasn't seen anything like the, uh, the the level of volatility we've seen in traditional rates uh, markets. Uh, with uh, with b bonds holding up uh, very very well, so um, yeah, that that's that's been a, been an area of interest clearly for investors um, so far uh, so far this year.
0: Mm. So
1: the the big um, I guess underperformer this year has been on the
0: emerging market side. Any trends on, say, emerging market equities, or, uh, or indeed, sort of China or Asia? Obviously, has been a little bit more volatile, uh, and also the same thing for uh, in emerging market fixed income has always been historically quite a strong category.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess the area that stands out on the equity side is um, is China uh, equities, uh, where where inflows have been um, have been very very strong. Um, certainly, I mean, I, I guess with the, the more recent volatility in the in the in, in the China tech space, we're probably going to see that, you know, uh, soften uh, when when the next month's data comes in. Uh, but you know, given how well A-shares performed uh, during 2020, we've seen a lot more interest uh, in, in in that part of the market. Uh, so uh, yeah, strong flows in 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 China equities. Um and then on the on, on, on the on the EMD uh, fixed income side, uh, we have seen some uh, modest uh, modest inflows uh, in that space. I guess the the hard currency um the hard currency markets will have you know suffered some of the volatility associated with with. US rates, mm-hmm. uh, which has perhaps sort of muted interest uh, a bit in that space, but still in in net positive territory uh, on a uh, on a year-to-date basis. Obviously, one of the
0: trends you noted was around uh, thematic uh, investing. And certainly within EFG, we've seen that um, quite prominently with some of the, you know, uh, you know, excellent performing launches that we've done ourselves. Are we seeing similar trends in the marketplace to the trends we've witnessed internally within EFG?
1: Yeah, d- d- uh, Definitely. Um, I mean, if we take an area like um, like healthcare, uh, you know, that's had a you know a, a net inflow of, of over six billion uh, so far uh, so far this year. Um, you know, the the, the financials area had a, a net net inflow of around four billion. Um, so uh, yeah, we've definitely seen some some very strong uh, inflows uh, on the um, on, on on the thematic side of things. But What's been the what do you think's been the catalyst to that?
0: Because obviously. You know, some of these sector funds strategies have been around for a very long time. There's nothing new, no, nothing obviously particularly innovative to that. What do you think has been the catalyst for everybody to start thinking about, um, uh, you know, thematic investing as a as a serious allocation in portfolios?
1: I, th- I think it's, it's partly linked to some of the, um, the the prominence of some of the underlying themes, and and you know, I guess ESG. Climate, we've seen a, you know, a, a step change in, in in investor interest in in those areas. So on the on, on the on the on the climate side, obviously, you know, with um, you know the, the arrival of the, you know, the, the the Biden presidency, you know, a much more sort of supportive uh, U.S. government for uh, for for the for the climate space. Um, you know obviously increasing regulations with respect to um you know esg climate so i think uh you know esg and climate funds are you know are very very clearly uh, on the map uh, for 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 investors and indeed the expected you know growth growth rate of some of those companies over the coming years uh, given the moves to you know decarbonize um you know the, the global economy it's it's sort of no surprise that that's catching investor uh, attention. Uh, other areas, I mean, you know, technology is one of the, the, the dominant sort of thematic uh, areas. You know, obviously tech has been an area of, you know, very strong earnings growth, realised performance uh, for, for, for many years now. So it's, you know, perhaps no no surprise that the investors... Uh, continue to be uh, you know v- very interested um in in that space and i think uh you know there there's clearly many more ways of playing thematics uh now you know that there, there are you know had a lot of uh, you know a lot of launches um you know just looking at some of the morning star data uh, there were 237 uh thematic funds launched in in 2020 up from 170 wow. In in 2019, so uh, you know a lot of launches in this space. You know Morningstar sort of suggests that uh, thematic funds have performed well versus global equities over the last uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, So I think uh, you know a combination of strong performance, uh, you know more ways to play uh, themes has captured the imagination of investors.
0: So kind of thinking through from both from an institutional perspective and then. wealth management perspective i guess one of the underlying trends is what i call kind of passive and satellite where passive has become as low as fee as possible tracking an index on the institutional world and then you have call it active and then hyperactive (laughs) if there is such a word but you kind of have the active part with your traditional active managers that as we've generally seen over the last 20 years they've just generally been shrinking as part of the pie of the uh, overall allocation, that has become smaller. But it seems to me that people are then replicating, you know, or maybe disaggregating that, that active management piece into this other sliver that is the uh, the the hyperactive or the thematic investment. Uh, and typically, I guess, that, that smaller segment will also have a higher higher fees to it so the providers themselves are probably very keen to get into that space hence I guess the number of product launches that we've seen there so that's there and I think on the wealth management side I think there's always been a, a, a strong interest in um, either de- doing good for example in ESG or climate but also backing themes and trends that they think are going to be very pervasive particularly over the long period of time uh, rather than kind of the short term where sometimes these things can get overblown so there are From a structural perspective, portfolio construction perspective, we're definitely seeing people disaggregating their portfolios into different buckets to play those themes. I guess, um, you know, it's been quite encouraging to see companies like Morningstar starting to provide better data and more transparency around thematic investing. What are your thoughts around that? You know, what have they been doing to change with the times, if you like?
1: Yeah, so it's, a, so it's a really, really good point. I mean, I, I think trying to you know get one's arms around the thematic landscape um, has been you know historically very, very challenging. Uh, you know, funds might have just been all sort of lumped into you know a, a global equity uh, peer group, or you know maybe a you know just simplistic sector uh, peer groups, but that you know hasn't really sort of captured the essence. Um, of uh, of of the evolution that we've been seeing in in, in thematic investing, so um, so Morningstar have uh, have broken um, the, the the universe down into uh, four broad um, categories, and and in each of the thematic funds are put into one of these four categories. The first being um, a technology, as we were sort of touching on. Um, a, a few moments ago uh, the second uh, is called physical world um, which you know areas like um, you know climate transition uh, energy transition sort of funds would be included uh, in that space uh, the third is um, is social so things like um, you know demographics for example um, uh, might, might be included in in, in that that bucket and, and the final one is more of a um, is more of a catch-all Which is a sort of called broad, um, broad thematic, but I think you know they obviously have these sort of four, um, you know, uh, top level uh, categorizations. And then uh, you know they, they sort of start to break things down into more, uh, more more specific themes. So you know technology is definitely the the, the dominant theme um, with uh, 320 billion of AUM uh, there. Uh, the, the next largest is physical world uh, with 130 uh, billion of, of assets. With social at uh, 93 uh, billion and broad thematic at four, uh, just under 50. Um, And then if we look at some of the uh, some of the largest sub uh, themes, um, we can see areas like I mean, the largest one is energy uh, is energy transition. And then we have areas like digital economy, uh, robotics, consumer life sciences, AI, security, fintech. Uh, Etc. So, you know, I, I, it's it's relatively um, it's relatively to, to early days in terms of Morningstar's analysis in this area, and some of it isn't sort of publicly available on their website yet, but can be uh, received on, um, on 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 request. But I think it will uh, it, it, this sort of e- evolution from Morningstar will definitely help us to do you know better analysis uh, in terms of sort of comparing. Uh, thematic funds in terms of you know performance positioning uh, etc so um, so yeah definitely view it as a um, as, as a real positive um, positive step mm. so obviously a lot of people might think this is just kind of a bit
0: faddish and you know the next market correction they'll all die and so and so forth so you know certainly we're, we're, we're old enough and gray enough to to know some of those things that that, that can happen it certainly seems a little bit more permanent to this than there was maybe in the past um where it was very much concentrated in say one sector you know gold miners or um you know technology or whatever it seems to be a much more broader array of um of products and and it does so it does certainly feel um uh, you know quite different uh, the obvious one that people think is the 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 faddish investment is obviously arc uh, or kathy wood who's who's virtue on every podcast uh maybe we should get her on this one but she's on every podcast um you know cnbc interview bloomberg interview you know newspaper so she she's uh she's out there a lot um and uh obviously she's probably been one of the the the, the big champions of the uh of the, the the thematic investing you know drive
1: what are your thoughts of uh, of, of arc so yeah um as, as you say um you know i suspect uh, very few if, if any of us had had heard of arc uh you know three or four years ago i mean the firm was founded in in 2014 uh they're now up to 58 billion uh in aum they have only uh 26 uh staff members so they have a a cost income ratio wow off the charts t- to, uh, to 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 die for I'm uh, the georgia would we'll be envious <laughs> <laughs> um and in terms of uh you know aum compared to the other large sort of global thematic uh, players that they're in uh, that they're in second position wow. uh, globally uh, behind uh, Pictet, uh, and and the largest us thematic player uh, by a by, by a country mile, so they have been um, been hugely uh, successful, um, and their their flagship their flagship product is the Ark uh, disruptive innovation uh, ETF, which is up at twenty two billion uh, AUM. They have their genomics. Product at 8.7 billion, FinTech at 3 point, uh, 3.8 billion. So, you know, a number of very, very successful uh, products. And I guess one of the, the, the key innovations uh, at Arc is offering uh, an active product wrapped in, a, in, in, in an ETF. This is, um, you know, it's, it's not sort of unknown that you know there are there are sort of you know a number of active uh, you know ETF products in the market but I think really getting uh, active ETFs um, you know on the map uh, they're you know they're going to be one of the dominant players uh, in that space um, at at the moment I guess in terms of our you know our our assessment of the um, of, of the products we have had a you know had have had you know a few meetings uh, a few meetings with them uh, there's, there's there's no doubt that they are invested in very interesting um, you know areas of the market but I think one of the one of the, sort of the observations uh, really is um, you know in terms of sort of concentration risk uh, in some of their products so um, you know with looking at the uh, arc um, the innovation ETF this morning uh, you know they have 40 uh, percent uh, of their portfolio in the in in, in the top five um uh, top five positions, so it's clearly um, you know very very uh, very very concentrated. Um, and if you you know one of the observations that the that, that Morningstar um, has made and, and we would we would agree with is um, is on the on the liquidity of their portfolio. They own some very very large stakes. Uh, in, um, in, in, in certain companies you know I think by their nature they, they are quite heavily invested in mid and small cap companies and I think that sort of combination of portfolio concentration large AUM large um, you know percentage holdings in companies and, and in some cases these names aren't that liquid um, you know combine that with an intraday liquidity of an ETF and uh, you know that there are some potential challenges. Uh, there, So I guess that that would be, um, you know, one of the, sort of the areas of, um, you know, we, we would be a bit cautious uh, on um, is, is, the, is the is the liquidity mm. uh, uh, side of things. Mm.
0: Well, certainly, I think um, at the end of each day, uh, or usually the next day, we usually find out what they've changed in their portfolio. So it, it's this. And I suspect that's probably one of the reasons why there's so much excitement and interest in the products, because. You know, it creates itself a whole load of debate and transaction and discussion the very next day when when their portfolio is released, and you get to know what they've just sold and you know just bought and, you know, what they just bought and sold, uh, and that creates a dynamic of sort of a, 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 and storytelling in itself, uh, which I suspect is probably just just reinforces the whole thing as well
1: yeah I think that's uh that, that's that's absolutely right I think there was a headline yesterday on some Japanese company they've been buying every day for the last um the last few months
0: exactly yeah so it's only it and then obviously uh I call it meme stock fodder so so uh you know anything that comes in or comes out is uh is very quickly uh um you know bandied around all the different websites uh, and uh and, and discussion forums, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, it in itself creates some positives and negatives. Um, and certainly, I, I, you know, certainly, we've learned some prominent hedge funds taking short positions in the ETF as well uh, as a result of it. So uh, it is certainly a fascinating development. And uh, you know, uh, it always never ceases to amaze me how much innovation appears in uh, in uh, sort of pardon the pun. <laughs> how much innovation appears in the um, uh, in, in you know in the industry and uh, uh, and how it's able to feed on itself in this respect um, and the interest that it creates. Uh, so obviously the other big mega trend within the, um, uh, you know, investment industry today is obviously ESG. You know, there's been some kind of very interesting developments, both very recently with, you know, um, accusations of greenwashing, uh, as well as, you know, people wanting to invest in those things for good. And obviously the uh, pension fund community, institutional community, is also ramping up uh, ESG as part of their investment policies and frameworks. Obviously, EFG Uh, and new capital have been involved and on top of this for the last, you know, four or five years. Maybe you can give us kind of quick summary of some of the, because it's two trends. This is a regulatory trend. And, um, uh, you know, we've got these new SFDR rules, which maybe you can enlighten us a bit more on. And as well as, if you like, the social trend uh, as well. So there's actually two parts to this.
1: Yep, all uh, all 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 very interesting topics. So maybe just briefly, we can sort of touch on 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 flows uh, in this particular uh, area. So there's been, you know, in 2020, there were, you know, 530 uh, sustainable funds uh, launched, according to Morningstar, uh, and a further 250 traditional funds repurposed uh, as um, as as sustainable ESG funds. So clearly, a lot of launches. Uh, in this space uh, in the first quarter of, uh, of 2021 uh, we hit a, a you know an all-time uh, an, uh, an all-time high in terms of net inflows for that that quarter of 120 billion um, into um, into sustainable related um, related products so there's clearly a lot of um, investor demand uh, in, in in this space at the moment and i think from an active management uh, perspective: uh, We're seeing the majority of those flows go into uh, active products. So I think you know, obviously, the active fund management community has been under you know a good bit of pressure from ETFs uh, over the last decade. But I think you know, combination of you know thematics we touched on before and and ESG funds, uh, this this is definitely more of a tailwind uh, for the active management community, um, which is uh, w- w- which is good to see. And you know the one of the one of the, the, the key events of of twenty twenty one so so far from a regulatory perspective, is that the um, the sort of SFDR uh, regulations uh, uh, were were implemented on um, on March tenth. So uh, SFDR sustainable finance disclosure uh, regulations, and uh, this is where uh, managers have to self-certify stroke classify uh, their products uh, according to um you know various sfdr articles so uh, the the key articles are article six article eight and uh, article nine so sort of article six is more of a sort of a a baseline sort of basic um you know integration of sustainability risks as a as, as a minimum standard so we would sort of say a fund which um you know, do, I would say doesn't sort of very proactively, um, you know, integrate uh, ESG. M- maybe there's there's a degree of uh, integration, but but it's not a, not a focus. But sort of fall into that sort of Article Six uh, category. Uh, article uh, Article Eight, we would um, sort of simplistically categorize as being light green uh, funds, uh, which um, you know promote ESG characteristics within the portfolio. Um, and um, finally, Article Nine, sort of dark green uh, funds, which have sustainability as a core uh, objective of of the um, of the product. So, uh, but important to note that this is a self self-cert- self certification regime uh, at, at the moment, and uh, the um, the regulator is yet to issue. It's more sort of. Technical details uh, with regard to the KPIs that each of these funds uh, needs to align with. So that's actually recently been um, been been delayed, Um, but uh, I think in I think mid 2022, this sort of more more technical detail will be in place. So you know, managers have between now and then to. I guess sort of in, in, in ensure that the, the products that they're classifying as, you know, Article 6, 8 and 9 are, are going to be, you know, aligned with, um, you know, the, the standards that, that are coming through. And, um, but, you know, there's there's clearly a commercial pressure on managers to make their products appear as, as ESG friendly as, as they can, because that is, is clearly where the flows are Uh, where the flows are going. Um, And as you mentioned, uh, you know, a few moments ago, um, you know, DWS has been in the press. um, You know, there's some sort of whistleblowing situation uh, with regard to to, to greenwashing within the organisation. So I think until that sort of technical um, specificity uh, is is, is in place, um, you know, there's you know g- going to be different interpretations uh with regard to you know what what funds should be sort of article 6 8 or 9 but this is where it's important that you know fund selectors have a really sort of robust um process uh in place because you know it what one can't take uh you know self certification at, at face value we need to uh you know kick the tires uh, and ensure that uh, you know, funds are meeting our, our internal standards for our you know, own uh, you know, ESG classifications. So the, the way that we approach things is that for all funds on our on, on our approved list, um, we will um, uh, essentially classify those funds as being. Uh, either you know traditional funds uh, ESG integrated or ESG uh, ESG focused and uh, funds have to you know reach a certain scoring threshold um, to to basically to become either ESG integrated or ESG focused and we are looking both at um, uh, funds from what I would call a bottom-up perspective where we're you know using uh, things like um, Morningstar's Globes ratings for portfolio assessments or or MSCI's data on particularly on the fixed income funds and then combining that with information from uh, the, uh, the UNPRI organisation who make an, a, you know, a top-down uh, assessment of um, organised asset managers' um, ESG attributes. We include that, uh, along with, you know, when we're interviewing managers, uh, you know, we will sort of talk to them about how ESG is integrated into the process, how they can evidence that integration with, um, you know, good reporting, in terms of the ESG traits of their characteristics of their portfolios. And then we sort of combine these sort of top down and bottom up inputs into an overall assessment. Uh, and then we can sort of, you know, see how that compares with the, um, you know, whether funds are, you know, being stated as Article 6, 8 or 9 uh, and, 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 you know, where where needed, I get in identifying potential inconsistencies. So, um- recently, and we won't, we won't give the name out, but
0: uh, recently you downgraded a fund that you felt was uh, greenwashing and it's uh, quite a prominent asset manager that one would be quite surprised at if we were to divulge the name, but we won't. Um, uh, what were the key things there that you had picked up on that because I, I have to say, personally, I was quite surprised that uh, you know yourself and the team took quite a heavy stance on this. Uh, I'm quite intrigued to to understand what the process was. What you know, what what were the flags there that said mm. actually this looks like a greenwash?
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's, it's a really it's a really good good question topical topical um, issue. And I think the the, the situation we, we had with this particular manager highlights the importance of having a you know a holistic approach to assessing uh, a manager's ESG. Um, attributes so uh fr- from a from a top down perspective this manager looked looked very very good uh they, they scored very well on uh, on on the unpri uh side of things um so that that all, all generally looked uh, looked fine but where we where we struggled uh was, was was in two areas really firstly was on on disclosures and um the the, the, the manager was shall we say unenthusiastic about providing uh you know g- uh, granular you know esg um kpis exposures excuse me um on on their port on their particular portfolio uh, so that the, so that that was a bit of a a, a red flag uh, for us i mean for for most asset managers now uh, you know we get really good data in terms of the um you know, ESG attributes of of, of of products. So, you know, carbon um carbon exposures for for, for example. Um and then the, the the portfolio scoring uh from um from from MSCI also looked uh looked look, look pretty poor for the product. So I think even though it looked good uh, from a you know more of a sort of a top-down uh, perspective, uh, when we sort of drilled down to the portfolio level, and we were you know pushing for for disclosures for a you know a, a, a manager that was sort of claiming their product was a, you know was a you know an Article 8 uh, fund, we we just sort of felt that that they were falling you know short you know on a on transparency and b on you know overall portfolio score didn't look great.
0: Mm, that's very interesting have you have you told them that you're that these are the reasons why you're uh, taking them off the list
1: yeah as, as, a, as a as a as a general point i mean we're, we're happy to have a you know an open dialogue with uh with with the managers that we have on our on our approved list and you know i think you know discussing best practice you know what what the you know what asset managers are, are doing on this point you know helps everyone to raise their raise their standards so yeah we're we're happy to have an open dialogue mm. so have you told them yet <laughs> uh that's, that's' a a a call that will be happening over the next few <laughs> weeks
0: okay we'll uh we'll watch that uh we'll watch that that piece very carefully as i said we we won't disclose that uh there today and Andrew, any any other sort of trends that you want to talk about? Obviously, we've been quite comprehensive on ESG and the thematics. Anything else you think uh, you we're missing in this discussion today?
1: Maybe just to to wrap up. I mean, I, I guess one of the one of the, the the key the key challenges of doing fund research uh, over the last um, the last sort of year, eighteen months or so, has been you know the, the COVID environment. You know, working from working from home. I mean, you know. for... You know, throughout my uh, career as a fund selector, we know we've always done face-to-face meetings with managers. We've you know done a lot of on-site, uh, on-site meetings, and uh, you know I guess the whole fund selector community has had to adapt uh, over the last um, last eighteen months or so to doing you know whether it's you know Zoom based or, or WebEx or you know those sort of virtual virtual meetings. So I think that that's been. Um, you know that's had its had its challenges, and I uh, you know I think we have adapted. But I think you know getting back to doing face to face meetings and on sites with uh, with with managers is definitely something that we're all uh, all looking forward to doing.
0: Mm. I can say it probably means that you're probably getting reasonable access for first meetings and second meetings. But the you know that uh, because I guess everyone is happy to be on Zoom, uh, uh, than they were happier to be on Zoom than they were before so i i suspect there has been some some benefits of being able to cover a lot more a lot, uh, as well um so we, you know without taking that that plane to wherever to to ensure that uh they they are actually doing and they do have that office and they do have that uh, those those staff members it's not a shell uh, so yeah kicking those tires are absolutely important i, I can certainly see that um so last question andy for for you um obviously what you do is kind of quite critical also very interesting what do you think are the sort of key sort of character traits you know that you're looking for when you're you know selecting a a manager um you know what are the things that you you're looking for that yeah is a big sort of green tick and then on the other side you know what is a uh, you know, a Red Cross, and I guess, you, you know, in some respects, you're you're the psychologist. <laughs> you're trying to second guess whether someone's actually telling you the truth or not. I mean, what what are the sort of tricks of the trade that you've learned over the last, uh, well, I guess what 20, 24, 25 years that you've been doing this?
1: Yeah, I, I guess um, a couple of things that, that that we would we would definitely look out for is um, is, is is overconfidence, and you know, I I, I think that. You know, seen it. You know, a good few times over the years. Managers that are, uh, you know, take take too much risk in in, in individual uh, securities, um, I think is, is 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 something that that we, uh, you know, would sometimes struggle with uh, a, a, a bit. I think you know, investment is often comes down to, you know, sort of playing the the probability. Uh, Game uh, well, and you know, taking you know m- meaningful size bets, uh, but you know, nicely diversified within a within a portfolio, and not sort of betting the ranch on a on 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 a couple of stocks. And I've seen, you know, over the years, many managers, you know, almost sort of back themselves into a bit of a corner if one of their large stocks. Um, one of their large stocks starts to, uh, starts to unravel and, uh, you know, why, why, why bet your career on, on, on one or two stocks? So I think overconfidence is definitely um, something that, that we watch out for. I think, uh, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, managers that are, are humble, uh, willing to admit their mistakes, willing to, uh, willing to sort of, I guess, sort of move on, cut, cut, losing positions, et cetera, uh, I, I think are traits that, that, that we look for. Um, and, and I think from a, you know, fund selection perspective, the you know, one of the key things that we're always looking to do is to join the dots between stated investment prog- process and, 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 and data that, that we that, that we get on, on, on portfolios. Um, and, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at sort of trading uh, analysis, looking at consistency of... Um, portfolio uh, portfolio attributes and i think if we are you know unable to join the dots between uh you know stated stated process and uh you know what what we're seeing in portfolios uh that's always um that's always a red flag
0: mm. very very interesting so uh andy absolutely fascinating as always um thank you very much for uh for coming on i think uh uh, certainly i've learned a lot <laughs> in the last few minutes uh that's uh, that's great so thank you very much uh, for coming on uh so that wraps us up for uh today uh thank you very much uh, for listening and we will talk to you again next week thank you very much